1: Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken. Episode number 134 recorded August 7th, 2013. 90s
0: episode 69 and today we're covering the original series issues 70 through 72 by DC Comics. So this ends up being the last three issues of the story arc that we started uh, last time we did the original series, which was right. way back in episode 127.
1: Exactly. So we had the setup, and then we had to wait a while for the uh, the rest of the story.
0: Right. And it, it does take up these, these three issues,
1: and uh, we will be done with this story by the end of the uh, 72. Yay! To see what happens with the many-eyebrowed crew. Right. And not to get ahead of ourselves, but
0: when I saw the cover for issue seventy uh, mm-hmm. back before we actually started reading them,
1: yeah. I was
0: really excited about it because I thought that was Blaze. Ha! Huh. And I was like, "Oh, they're gonna have a Blaze in in the Kirk era, you know?" Because I, I was just guessing because it's a, sure it's a you know beautiful woman with fire coming out of her hands like a
1: magician and right. That's, brunette. Right. It's not
0: her, so don't get too excited.
1: No, no. Uh, but as Kirk's getting older, he's going for the brunettes.
0: Yeah, yeah. I guess she did remind me a little of uh, R.J. Blaze. Yes. All right. Well, um, any other housekeeping, or should we just jump into
1: it? Let's just jump into it, man. Let's do it up.
0: All right. This issue came out in April of 1995. It would have cost you a dollar ninety-five to take it off the newsstand. Woohoo! I think you can buy it uh, for like 25 cents
1: now. <laughs> oh, the money you can make collecting comics.
0: Oh, my kid's college tuition. There it goes. <laughs> I was buying these up in the 90s thinking that they would be worth something. Hmm. Let's see. The writer is Howard Weinstein. Penciler is Rachel Ketchum. Inker is Arnie Starr. Letterer, Bob Panaha. Colorist, Ray Murtaugh. And the editor is Margaret Clark. The issue is called A Wolf in Cheap Clothing, Part 2. As mentioned earlier, the cover shows a beautiful dark-haired woman. She's wearing a tight turquoise-colored dress and has her hands outstretched um, and kind of away from her body. And she seems to be staring straight at the reader, maybe looking into your soul. Between her hands is an orb of flame, and within the flame we see Kirk's face with his weird skunk hair, and as Ken pointed out earlier, he has three sets of eyebrows. On the cover it says fire and furies. Story starts off with Kirk's log reminding us what happened in the last issue because, you know, we did record it way back in, uh, you know, episode 127, so he reminds us what happened. Kirk, Sulu, Scotty, and Chief Engineer Lucas from the Excelsior are on a frontier planet where a group of Klingon colonists are trying to get supplies for a colony that the Klingon Empire is not funding. While here, Kirk has met the self-appointed mayor, which was that... Odd dressed blue guy, Uh, a mysterious small man, which he and the uh, lovely woman that he met uh, were making fun of in the antique store. And then the uh, before mentioned mysterious woman who is, I'm assuming, the woman on the cover. If you remember last issue, Kirk made a uh, joke about her, but being the ugliest thing he'd ever seen. Oh, no, wait, I'm talking about that base. Anyways, that was last issue. All right, so as the events of the actual story begin, Kirk and company are watching what looks to be a lynching in a large courtyard. The little mystery man from last issue seems to be surrounded by some much larger Spongloran scum vendors. So they're much larger than a human who a human is much larger than this little guy. So once the larger aliens have literally picked up the small guy by his hair and are about to pound him in the face... Kirk intervenes. Once the aliens focus on Kirk, the little guy vanishes again, as he did in the store in the last issue. The aliens have no real quarrel with Kirk, so they leave. Later, at the local tavern, the beautiful woman is there performing a magic show. She makes a bird vanish next to Klieg the Klingon's face. And then she sits in Kirk's lap and makes his Federation communicator appear in her hand from a ball of flame. Unperturbed, Kirk seems not to care when she walks away with his communicator, and she continues her show over at another table. The small mystery man is eating with the self-appointed mayor at another table. When the little man leaves, Sulu leaves the table and follows. While Kirk is finishing his meal, the magician returns, and she gives back the communicator, saying she only borrowed it. There is now a scene where Sulu follows the little man from the bar. The man is attacked again by a single Spongolin. And of course I'm mispronouncing the name. He proves that he knows a thing or two about self-defense, and he takes down the much larger brute with a single strike to his chest. Back at the bar, the woman, who introduces herself as Orana Della Monica, comes from a long line of magicians and her ancestors were praised in the Middle Ages and burned at stakes just a century later. Kirk, Scotty, Sulu, and Lucas all seem to be enraptured by her story. Meanwhile, Sulu is still following the little guy. Yes, you heard right. Sulu is both at the bar, listening to the magician's tale, and following the guy. Is this some sort of trick or illusion? We'll never know. Anyway... The little guy seems to be meeting another squad of Spong- Sponglin. I'm going to mispronounce it every, different every time. This time he seems to be paying them for a job. The much larger alien then lets slip that they're being paid to pretend that they were going to pound him earlier in the courtyard. Sulu and the reader are left wondering, what the heck is going on? Back at the bar, Arena finishes her discussion with Kirk and leaves the table when Sulu contacts Kirk via his communicator. Sulu informs his former captain to get over to the Lost and Found shop as soon as possible. They get there, and they find that the little man, who is now identified as Noli, Noli and the shopkeeper are having an argument about an item that the little man wanted to purchase. It seems that Noli and his thugs are about to get physical with the salesman when Scotty interrupts, diffusing the situation. While Scotty is offering to make a purchase, Noli and his thugs leave without notice, almost as if by magic. Later, as the humans are leaving the store, the self-appointed mayor steps out of the shadows and warns Kirk about his new friend, Arena. He says that she's not what she appears, and then he leaves without any further explanation. Elsewhere, Noli is now being harassed by Klingons. They are upset that he does not have the item that he promised to get them. As Noli departs, Kirk arrives and tells the Klingons that he may be able to help, reminding them and the reader that he is just a simple merchant. Later, Kirk and Arena are leaving a restaurant. She gives him a passionate goodbye kiss, and then Kirk hears a noise behind him. He turns around to see what it was, just as Arena vanishes in a puff of smoke. As he turns back around, he is socked in the jaw with a purple fist. Kirk lies knocked out on the ground and we have to wait until next issue to find out what happens. To be continued.
1: Oh man, we gotta wait that long? Yep, 30 days. Hmm. Well, there you go. Kirk, he knew it was a rough neighborhood, yet he still let himself get cold cocked by a rather small hand. And that hand is definitely purplish blue. Exactly. So I'm trying to figure out who hit him? Right, because
0: Noli is a, he's, I would say, pink-colored, normal Caucasian-colored. Right. Uh, maybe a little darker, but not by much. And then but the not, only yeah, yeah, the only blue person we've met is the mayor. Lanimish. Yeah. Lanimish, right. And um, so, at the end of this issue, my money was on Lanimish doing the old... Uh, Sucker punch on Kirk
1: Right However He had a red outfit earlier Which doesn't mean He couldn't have changed it But Good point There's a little thing Between blue And bluish And purplish Going on here So I'm not I'm not sure uh, Latimish He's not a perfect match However He is the closest one With that color Right I got a feeling We'll know who Who it was next issue I think so Unless, of course, somebody just wanted to roll Kirk for his communicator or something, and he wakes up, oh, who did it? Right. There. Our hero. Okay.
0: So uh, what, did, what did you think of this issue? There, there was a common theme uh, with Noly just going from species to species and getting in fights and almost getting his butt whooped and
1: then somehow disappearing once somebody intervenes. Exactly. The common theme was I don't know what's going on, but I'm starting to get annoyed. Right. So yeah. so this, this, in in my opinion, this is kind of like, kind of sort of trying to be like a film noir kind of thing, where you got Kirk as like the Bogard kind of thing, and you got, um, you know, Noli uh, instead of Peter Laurie, and Orena uh, instead of Mary Astor, and... Uh, you know, the the Maltese Falcon, you've got this this thing people are trying to get their hands on. So right. um, this, this icon or whatever, which we haven't I don't we haven't seen that yet, have yeah, we? Yeah, we don't know what it is yet. Right. It's okay, just so something. we're gonna we're gonna see that soon. There's something people want for some reason. So I definitely get a film noir kind of Maltese Falcon feel to it, but it's at the beginning early portion. Of the film noir story where all of these things are being laid out for you, but you don't know what they all mean yet. Right. And I think they're going to be
0: throwing out some red herrings. Yes. So I did not get the Maltese Falcon um, connection, but you're you're totally right. Even with the outfit Kirk's wearing, he kind of has the trench coat with the collar pulled up.
1: Right. Definitely looks like a, a Bogart type. Character. A little, yeah, kind of thing. You know, it's okay. It's just at least so far, uh, it just seems like a little bit of a mess to me. It's like this Lanimish guy, this clown guy who thinks he's the mayor. It's like I don't know what his deal is. And then definitely this Noley guy. At least, at least Noley seems like 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 a bad guy or something. So I can kind of kind of get him a little bit. Um, and of course, the beautiful woman, the mysterious beautiful woman, but. That clown Laminish guy or whatever, I don't know what the heck his deal is. Just well, it doesn't help that,
0: you know, Laminish looks like a, a clown. And then Noli, even though he's, you know, halfway through this story, he's kind of shown as being a bad guy. Right. But he's dressed like a clown, too. I mean, he basically yeah. has, <laughs> you know, Bozo the Clown hair with like a little tuft up at the forehead but aside from that his hair is kind of long and wavy like bozo the clown right and he's wearing a pink and hot pink striped overcoat type thing and and
1: like he he
0: looks like you know a clown
1: yeah it reminds me of circus circus back in vegas back in the day uh but yeah he 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 looks kind of ridiculous
0: right and then the the shopkeeper even though he doesn't talk much here but he always refers to himself in third person and he's kind of you know a large dopey guy so yeah. he he's kind of a comedy relief too and then you know even in the fights where you know Noly, who we think is still maybe a good guy and just being picked on you have the the big the big pirate guys actually picking him up by that little tuft of hair at, at his forehead and it's just that's Comical. I mean, it, it, it's made to be comical, and it just doesn't really work if you're trying to tell a, a, a real mystery
1: story. Right. It's a little weird. I'm hoping it's going to pick up, and it does. It does. But it starts to make a little more sense.
0: So I, I was really curious on Laminish, his mm-hmm. little warning, be careful with the girl, and then it is a coincidence that as soon as he leaves dinner with her mm-hmm. – she disappears, and he gets sucked in the jaw. So
1: yeah, That's right. It's I'm like really she set him up or something. Exactly. Right. So we'll see if that pays off. Yeah, so there's multiple people I'm not trusting at this point.
0: And Sulu, too. I mean, who, knows, who knew that he could be in two places at the same time?
1: Ah. That's just creepy. <laughs> Kirk told him to follow him. You knew he... that. But then there he is in the scene. Uh, right. It's yeah, like, so that that's just an artistic error.
0: <laughs> yeah, so on page 12 it shows Sulu following the guy and he's getting beaten up by the guy, the other one, and then Noli takes him out with one punch. And then on page 13, Sulu's sitting there listening to the story. Yeah. And then on page 14, Sulu is again following Noli. So obviously the pages either are out of order or he made a mistake on page thirteen by throwing exactly. Sulu there. <laughs> exactly, but it's just too. It was
1: too. It was too funny not to mention in the synopsis. Yeah, and there's another interesting part later in a, in a later issue, where it seems like, well, when we get to it, I'll mention it. Okay. Another yeah. kind of Sulu-related switching of positions or something. Oh, I must have missed that one. Oh, don't. I mean, don't be... We'll we'll see when we get to it. Okay. And I will point it out. Okay. Yeah. And other than that, I don't have anything to say about this one.
0: All right. My last comment is, I think, Arena. She looks cute in both the comic and in the cover, but uh-huh. she doesn't look quite the same.
1: No. She looks cuter and younger on the cover. And right. I think she looks a little bit more mature in the comic. Still hot, but a little more mature. Right. Which right. is good, because Kirk's old as hell at this point. So. <laughs> but what's funny is that on on the
0: cover, she's wearing a more conservative dress than she is in the
1: comic itself. Oh, yeah. Yeah, she shows some skin. Although on the cover, there's a little... Um, it's pretty low cut. Right. And you really... You, know, you can't really see her midriff on the cover. Yeah, but... In the and co- the comic it seems like, well maybe it's the same. Well, it doesn't have to be. I mean, totally different artists usually. Right. Yeah. What do you think about the art, by the way? Um, not the hugest fan.
0: I mean, no. people look close enough to what they're supposed to be, so I know know who it is. But you know, I, I'm I'm not a fan of you know. We've already talked about how a lot of people look like clowns. Right. You know, and then that's that's not just color choice. It's also artistic choice and yeah. even these aliens that the pirates that are always kind of beating up on Noli or mm-hmm. Noli's beating up on them they, they look kind of silly too kind of like rodent bikers or or something like that like, yeah it's like let, let's make them you know bikers with, with uh, headbands and mohawks and oh let's let's give them rodent features <laughs>
1: yeah so, so it makes it makes them look a little bit less threatening right right, which is I think you'd want to make them look as threatening as you could, but whatever right, and ironically enough, I think the Klingons actually look good
0: and menacing, like like they're you know this artist really does i think their brows really mm-hmm. well, so that yeah when they're scowling at you 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 can feel that they're scowling at you <laughs> is that that one yeah. that she's doing the um Magic to what is his name? Kleeg or whatever. Right. Uh, I think, and and he's really good in the next issue where uh, he, he he looks pretty upset <laughs> and he and he looks menacing, which you don't get a
1: lot from you know a, a comic page. Right. On page twenty one, the female Vulcan, her face—I mean, a real close-up shot of her face—takes up the whole panel, and uh, and she looks really good. I think that's another good example of what you're talking right. about. Yeah. You mean um, Klingon, not Vulcan. Oh, sorry. Klingon. Yes. <laughs> my mistake. Yes, absolutely. She looks really good there. Yeah. Excellent.
0: And, uh, you know, in regards to the art, a lot of these shots have animals in them. And, you know, a lot of times they're like these weird rats, you know, like on page 20. Like there's there's rats crawling on the walls and things like that. But then for whatever reason, on page 21 and 22, there's a little white puppy just walking to and fro on the panel and Mm -hmm. scratching on a door and things like that. Mm -hmm. And I just, I don't know why we need the the puppy. (laughs) (laughs) It's supposed to be this tense, like, you know, this guy's about to get it. And then this little puppy walks by. Scratches yeah. on the door. Once, once the uh, guy to bring out a big bowl of noodles for him to eat. <laughs> Lady in the Tramp style.
1: Yeah, or, or maybe uh, I don't know, a little bowl of beer or something because it is a lounge. <laughs> but yes, yes, that, yeah. that's a good point. And to be perfectly honest with you, I really didn't even notice the little white mammal. Oh, really? Did you notice all the rats and all the other pages and
0: and birds? I mean, like every page has some sort of animal just in it. I
1: noticed some of the rats, yeah, but I don't think I, I noticed the bird.
0: Yeah, like right, right before she kisses him there towards the end, and and he's about to get decked in the face. There's right. three white doves flying next to him for some reason out of the shadows. I mean, it's just, I guess they just wanted to make you feel like this was really a, a frontier right. town, and there's just animals everywhere. But sure,
1: yeah,
0: I could do right. without or... doves and and uh, puppies.
1: Maybe Rachel Ketchum is just a. Uh, uh, Animal fan. Must be. Could be. All right. That was my last comment. Cool. Okay. Well, I get to do 71, which is again titled A Wolf in Cheap Clothing, Part 3. May 1995 published date. I think everybody's the same as far as production. Um, but Pam Eklund is the inker. Ray Murtaugh collars. That's definitely the same. Yeah, everybody's the same. The cover features Kirk and Sulu headshots minus the six eyebrows, but with the civilian clothes and Kirk's weirdly colored uh, skunk hair, as as Donovan put it, very very accurately. An almost full body shot of Orana coming up from a whirlwind is at the uh, lower left quadrant of the cover. Dominating the lower right quadrant is a gold colored alien statue, not Maltese Falcon shaped. The top is occupied by the Enterprise and a Klingon with a batleth. Three words are beneath the Klingon saying the Klingon Gambit. Kirk awakens on the curb he was knocked to at the end of the previous issue. Mr. Noly is standing over him addressing him as Kirk and saying he is not very careful. He taunts Kirk conjecturing that Kirk is still trying to figure out who he is. Mr. nolly addresses Kirk as Old Man, and asks how many things went on him before his memory. Kirk still does not recall who this guy is, but he is sure he did not like him back then. He finally tells Kirk they went to Starfleet Academy at the same time, and his name is Nafaritaj Noly. Kirk asks what he is doing here, and why does he keep angering groups of large people? Noli says he is the best of Starfleet intelligence, and he will always be one step ahead of Kirk. Kirk proves him wrong by unexpectedly whirling around to catch him by surprise and give him a right cross into Noli's jaw. It could not have been that good a punch, because in the next panel Noli is still standing and taunting Kirk about being all brawn and no brains. Mr. Noly says he will take pity on poor dim-witted Kirk and explain what is going on, since Kirk can't possibly have a clue. The first bunch after him were Spanaglin pirates. He hired them to ply their larcenous skills to obtain an item for him. When his arrival to pick up the item was delayed, they sold it to Rahak instead. That led to the second confrontation you witnessed, where Rahak swore he sold the item. Kirk also asks about the third confrontation with the Klingons. Noli said they were to be the recipients of the item. Kirk finally asks what this item is. Noli replies saying, none of your business. He is on such a secret mission that the brass that gave Kirk his orders don't even know about it. Kirk naively says Starfleet does not operate that way, to which Noli says he knows nothing. He goes on to say that explorers like Kirk wish that people like him were extinct, but it's a dangerous galaxy out there, and people like Noli protect the Federation. He says the Klingon Empire may be wounded, but there is nothing more dangerous than a wounded animal. Noli wraps up the conversation saying Kirk is in way over his head and needs to stay out of his way. Later, Kirk and his team leave Zantac Prime to rendezvous with the Enterprise to check out Noli's story. Not long after entering space, they pick up a distress call from another ship. Since it turns out to be Orana's ship, Kirk is only too happy to divert to render aid with a smile on his face. They begin towing Orana's ship back to the planet's surface, but they detect it has a warp core breach imminent in two minutes. They change plans to beam her over from her ship to their ship and get the heck out of Dodge. She insists her cargo must be brought over first. With time running out, they agree. Just in the nick of time, they are able to escape Orana's ship's blast radius. Another witness to Orana's ship exploding is Noli and Rahak in a third small ship. They are in cahoots and sabotaged Orana's ship. Apparently they are unaware of Kirk's ship and thinking she and her cargo were destroyed. Noli asks Rahak to join him in a ritual to pay respect to worthy adversaries who have died. Kirk sees the cargo Orana just had to save it appears to be mostly just magic junk paraphernalia but it means the world to her Arana tells Kirk and the others she never wants to go back to Zantac Prime there is nothing wrong with her ship until today someone must have sabotaged it if they think she is dead she wants to leave it that way and get on with her life elsewhere since he can't get Arana off the ship He decides to meet the Enterprise anyway, but still continue their cover as Nilaran traders. They act as if the Enterprise coming their way was a surprise, and to protect his business, Kirk decides to make contact and inform the Federation of the Klingon colonists. They land in the Enterprise shuttle bay. Arana stays with the ship, while Kirk meets with Spock and his command staff. In the briefing room, they look up Nafaritaj, Noli's Starfleet record. Spock says they cannot know for sure if Noly is telling the truth about his mission or not. The purported plausible deniability aspect of his supposed secret mission would make sense if Starfleet says they know nothing of the mission. Ohura is checking with Starfleet about it anyway. Arana unexpectedly enters the briefing room and catches the tail end of Kirk's sentence stating that they do not know if Noli is telling the truth or not. She says he is not telling the truth. No matter what Noli told you, it probably is not the truth because he is a liar. Orana admits she knew Noli just to the extent that they had worked together in the past. She says she thinks it was Noli that sabotaged her ship. She admits she knew Noli was on a Starfleet mission. In fact, She worked with him before on Starfleet missions as a freelancer. Nali hired her to buy a statue from Rahak that was stolen from the Klingons by the Spanaglons. It was supposed to be very important to the Klingons. Arana says she was to leave Zantak with the statue and turn it back over to Nali in space. She did it for the money, but also because of her hatred for the Klingons. Years ago she was arrested and incarcerated on a Klingon prison planet. She escaped, of course, but the point was it was a horrible place. She makes the observation that Kirk is likely the captain of this ship, since he is asking all the questions and how the others treat him. O'Hara breaks in with a call from Admiral Whitehawk. Whitehawk reports that Nolly is not only not on a mission for Starfleet, but he is a wanted man. He was a Klingon specialist who was relieved of duty four months ago for erratic behavior. He was plotting to overthrow the Klingon government and dropped out of sight. Starfleet has been looking for him ever since. The Admiral orders Kirk to find Noli as soon as possible. He is capable of not only disrupting the Klingon government, but perhaps starting a war between the Empire and the Federation. To be continued. So do you think Orana is bad guy or good guy? I thought she was a bad guy, but definitely her story, which has some corroboration based on what Admiral Whitehawk is saying now. She sounds like a good person. However, you just don't know. People are lying all over the place. Although, it appears as if she is good. Right. So... You know, not not to
0: spoil the next issue, but I felt like they dropped the whole, you know, red herring that she might be a bad guy a little quick. Yeah. Because it seems like they trust her pretty well here and, in fact, you know, tell her who he is and all that stuff, which, you know, she did steal his communicator for a good long time last issue. She did disappear right before he got got, uh, sucker punched. I mean... I still don't
1: see why they trust her so fast. Well,
0: Just and it seems like... she tells like, a
1: sad story. Right. And it seems like a lot of that stuff, especially, you know, mysteriously disappearing before he gets punched in the face, I, you know, she's obviously doing all that working with Nolly. So it's like, anybody that works with Nolly, I'm not so sure I trust them. Right. But, yes, I agree with you. They seem to be trusting very quickly. Drop of a hat. I figured the whole thing where... Um, where they're leaving the planet, and then Orana's ship is in trouble. What, what kind of coincidence is that? I was thinking trap, trap. You know, I I was seeing um, you know, Admiral Akbar going it's a trap. So. <laughs> yes,
0: yeah, and I expected you know her cargo to be something along with her trap. You know, beam right. the cargo over before you help me. And then I'm like, oh, don't do it. It's going to explode. <laughs> exactly. And then she won't be on that ship,
1: you know. Exactly. But uh, that's not what happened. No, that isn't. So their Starfleet trusting ways turned out to uh, pay off, at least so far. So far. It's not over yet. So I know space is big, you know. Mm-hmm.
0: So let's say there's three ships in orbit, two ship, one – Two ships are very close together. Let's say tractor-beamed together at one point, and the other ship is just watching. Don't you think that third ship could see that there's two ships there prior to it exploding?
1: I would. Or if sensors were on, wouldn't that pick up the second right. ship? I don't know. Exactly. E- even if visual you couldn't see it, but maybe they didn't have their sensors on. Maybe it's a small ship. Maybe, 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 maybe,
0: maybe. <sighs>
1: well, I mean, they're, they're close enough that they can see the explosion, and it looks yes. like the debris of the ship is yep. coming towards them so well obviously they were on the other side of arana's uh, ship maybe
0: that's it yes. anyways was not a big fan of Noli being so
1: easily duped yeah yeah it it didn't make a lot of sense to me he he seems to be the spy guy that has all the answers so right so Sulu so didn't do much in this episode did he uh, was he even in it <clears throat> <laughs> uh, he might not have even been in it, which um, quite he's... frankly.
0: Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, he just flies the ship. That's that's his only thing. I don't even think he has a line.
1: It just shows him flying the ship. Well yeah, okay. So yeah. So he is there on page six, but he doesn't say anything. Right. And who says a lot? Scotty. Mr. Well, yeah, but Mr. Redshirt, Lucas. So I thought a lot of the things that Lucas was doing in this issue was very Sulu-like. Right. I almost think they could have originally written this for Sulu, the stuff that Lucas was doing inside the ship. And it would have made more sense, too. I mean, rather than Sulu, I mean, he is the captain of Lucas. I mean, you'd think he'd be doing more. But I think for whatever reason, they just decided to give Lucas something to do. Because he really hasn't done that much so far in the uh, story arc. Right He he went on a little Found a few things in
0: the junkyard In that first issue And then right. he wasn't even there last issue Except for sitting
1: around the table listening Right Nope, I agree So I think they just decided to do something with him Okay, fine There's probably a few Lucas fans out there <laughs> Let's give him a bone A lot of Lucas fans, that's good <laughs> I forgot who he was when we started reading this again, and then I was noticing the guy had a red shirt. I was thinking, "Oh man, he's gonna die." Uh, and then, <laughs> and then I was like, "Oh no, that's that's Lucas. No, he's he he's on the Excelsior a lot. He's not gonna die." Okay, fine.
0: Yeah, he, he's Scotty's drinking buddy from the Excelsior. Right.
1: Remember, he had to stick up his rear, and then
0: Scotty loosened him up
1: <laughs> with a little alcohol.
0: Right. Yeah. Yep. I remember. So. Yeah, I don't know why they picked him anyways. I mean, Chekhov would have been just as good here, except I guess they wanted more people from the Excelsior. Yeah, I guess. Chekhov would actually make more sense, but I know they tried to explain it in that first issue where Lucas was part of an original
1: survey of this planet. Right, so he knew more about planets. Sure so. he did. Yeah. Just an excuse, that's it. I, I want to make a comment about fashion sense. Uh, okay. Who's? And Kirk has no fashion sense. That stupid green scarf around his throat. It's an ascot. It's not an ascot. It's a, it's a stupid green scarf, and it's like he's just trying to cover up his jowls or something. I don't know. His skin-filled neck or something. I don't know. It just looks effeminate. <laughs> well, what what is an
0: ascot? I always thought
1: an ascot was a scarf, but that's a scarf that men wear. Uh, well, I, I think an ascot's a certain shape. Uh, I think where this looks like it's a a scarf that's tied off and almost like a turtleneck right and I didn't think an ascot was a turtle was like a turtleneck you know it goes up on his neck pretty high it it looks it looks weird it's not appropriate for Kirk I'm sorry of course he did pull off that big floofy white shirt in Star Trek 3 didn't he right the big shirt as Jerry Seinfeld would say I don't. I don't remember Jerry Seinfeld saying. Or a puffy it. shirt. Puffy shirt. That's what they were saying.
0: It's like a pirate yeah. shirt, wasn't it? Kind of like a. A kinda. A yeah, sailing kinda.
1: shirt. Well, it, it was puffy sleeves and stuff, and. Uh, right. Oh, you mean in the Seinfeld episode? No, 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 no. In that. In that episode of Star Trek it, three or. In whatever. Star Trek three. Yeah. Yeah. Well, in both cases, but definitely in the Seinfeld episode. It looked like a pirate shirt. Anyway. Oh, okay. <laughs> I digress. <laughs> I just wanted to say. Didn't like the scarf that's And all. maybe he's wearing the scarf Because that's the kind
0: of fashion She wears She wears a lot of scarves So maybe he's uh, wearing it to try to impress her Because she, she has a green scarf around her waist
1: oh, He puts yeah. a green scarf around his neck Perfect Makes perfect sense
0: <laughs> Yeah, so she's dressed in this one Like the stereotypical gypsy
1: I right. thought Yeah, a little bit more like that Right,
0: I think that's, that's definitely
1: big... the feeling they wanted to give you right, haven't kind of you, but
0: she she's wearing polka dot pants i mean i I really don't like her outfit in this issue. <laughs> <laughs> polka dot pants with a green scarf wrapped around her waist with little fringes,
1: big earrings, right It's not doing it for me, no, definitely she is worn better, right, but I guess that was her comfy. Well, spiky high heels, except her comfortable travel outfit. Yeah, this is what she pilots ships in. Right. <laughs> Those high heels, very handy. Anyways. So, uh, I wanted to give you another vibe I was getting. Or All right. tell you about another vibe I was getting. I was definitely getting a Section 31 Admiral Marcus kind of thing going with Noli, especially since he's trying to pick a fight with the uh, Klingons. Exactly. So I was definitely getting all that stuff, and I was just, you know, I was just thinking about uh, the latest Star Trek movie, Into Darkness. Right,
0: and not only that, but also I, I was also getting the same vibe, and I actually did like the, you know, mental math to see if this issue came out after Section 31 was introduced in Deep Space Nine, mm-hmm. thinking that this was kind of there. Nod to Section 31 with Noli being a a covert agent, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. Um, But this came out before
1: those episodes of Star Trek Deep Space Nine, so. Hmm. Interesting. Just a coincidence. A coinky dink. But definitely, they're hitting on those themes, aren't they, of the Section 31 episodes? Right. Um, You know, the squeaky clean, naive uh, Starfleet people. Oh, you don't know what goes on right uh, you know in the in the spy world
0: and i did think that was an interesting idea cuz i mean he's right to a large degree i mean kirk shows up you know ever so often from his five year mission saves the day and then flies back off mm-hmm. you know it, it got me to wondering i was like there would probably be a lot of good stories to tell just what's going on day to day You know earth politics you know earth events how humans are fitting in with the the federation without it being some sort of catastrophe or you know giant probe going to destroy your earth all that kind of thing sure but uh you know i thought it was i thought he he had a good point yeah anyways what else you got
1: really that's it I, i hit on all my uh my points already all my notes right
0: all right um My last thing is more of an advertisement comment. Mm -hmm. There's a uh, opposite of page six. There's an advertisement for Star Trek The Next Generation. Ah, yes. Um, Yeah, starting with uh, episode 71 or issue Mm -hmm. 71. Mm -hmm. War and Madness rock the Federation. I don't Mm -hmm. know if that's the title. But uh, that's a pretty cool, interesting pinup they have there. So it shows Picard giving Beverly what looks like a ring of some sort. Mm Mm-hmm. And then Perhaps below, a
1: wedding ring, a promise ring. Uh, yeah, not yeah, a crackerjack one. All right, it looks
0: nice. And then mm-hmm. below that we see Klingons and humans both being hit with some sort of phaser blast from, from orbit. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the ground around them is being destroyed. And It's an interesting picture. Yes, Makes me really look forward to next week when we read that issue. Yes, me too. All right, anything else for this one? none all right then let's jump into issue 72 writer is the same penciler uh the only difference looks like is the inker is arnie Starr, and then pam ecklund it just does page four but i guess arnie star does the rest uh Bob Panaha letterer and looks like the rest is the same as the, the previous two This one is entitled, A Wolf in Cheap Clothing, The Conclusion. Not very original on their names for this four-parter, but uh, we'll give them a pass. All right, so the cover has the words, Endgame, on it. And below those words, we see Kirk in his Wrath of Khan away mission jacket running to the aid of Noli, who's being held in the air by a Klingon. And the Klingon looks like he's about to impale the little guy on a knife. So the story starts off on the Enterprise. Spock, McCoy, Arana, and Kirk are investigating the golden statue that Arana saved from her ship. Spock suggests that this is the Tikwa. Spock suggests that this is the Tikwa, which is supposed to hold the bone and hair of Kalis. That was uh, taken from his body after he was dead. No one is sure how such a valuable relic was taken off the Klingon homeworld. In deep space, a Klingon bird of prey receives a weak transmission from Xantek Prime. They play it on the speakers, and it simply states, If you want the Tikwa, which was stolen by some Spongali thieves, then come to Zantac Prime. The commander orders the vessel to plot a course to Zantac and go at maximum warp. Later, Sulu, back on Zantac Prime, goes to our favorite tavern, and he meets with the Klingon colonists. He tells them that Noli never intended to deliver the Tikwa, and that he attempted to destroy it, along with Orana. This stirs the Klingons into a frenzy, and the focus of their hatred is going to be Noli. In an apartment building that looks something like you would see in a New York suburb, Noli has been informed by the Mayor Lemonish that the Klingons are coming. Noli quickly grabs a bag and leaves at top speed. As he's departing, the Klingons have caught up with him, and they are in close pursuit with daggers at the ready. They chase the man into another building and then to an apartment. They break the door down and are surprised to find Kirk there. He simply tells them, Noli is gone. A little bit later, at Raihok's lost and found junk shop, Noli has arrived and he's holding an axe. He's ready to chop up his former friend. He assumes that only Rahak would know enough about what happened to tell the Klingons. Rahak is able to knock away the axe, but a fistfight ensues. Back in space, the Spongali ship that's been in orbit all this time is attacked by the incoming Klingon vessel. It looks like their ship is going to be destroyed. Before we see that, though, we flash back to the junk shop. Sulu is witnessing Noli's fight, and suddenly the Spongalians beam in. They are soon joined by the Klingon colonists who have been chasing Noli all this time. And then finally, the Klingons from the ship beam down. Everyone is in agreement that Noli is to blame for the relic's destruction. Just as he's going to get ripped into three separate pieces, Kirk arrives and tells everyone that the relic is safe and sound. He says that he saved it along with Arana. With that, Arana appears in a puff of smoke holding the relic. She gives it to the Klingon commander, and then she slaps Noli across the face for trying to kill her. Later, aboard the Enterprise, Noli is safely in the brig, and the Klingons have departed with the relic. Sulu and Lucas have returned to the Excelsior, and there is no mention as to what happened to the Klingon colonists, or to the Spongalian pirates. Orana is bidding her farewell to Kirk. On the transporter pad, she gives him a long, passionate kiss. Then, as the transporter is about to whisk her away, she instead vanishes in a plume of smoke. Everyone but Spock is stunned that she was able to do that. Spock refuses to tell them how the trick was done, and he walks away. The end.
1: What an interesting way to end it. I mean, at least they gave Spock something to do. Right. Well, he had the analysis at the beginning. Right. But he really wasn't in it much. No. Bottom line. Nope. So throw the Spock fans a little something. He gets to have the last word. Indeed. Or withholding the last word. I'm not going to say I did. Although I I know how she did
0: it. I wasn't quite sure
1: what exactly
0: she did because it shows the transporter effect on her. But then it shows the poof of smoke. And are we to assume that instead of being transported, she poofed? Or did she drop a poof pellet as she was
1: dematerializing, and that's what it was. Well, I think if it was just the the latter, people wouldn't be so amazed. I agree. It's like, hey, nice poof pellet. (laughs) And I was trying to be very careful about that, (laughs) pronouncing that. Thank you. Okay. No, I agree. And that's
0: why I didn't really understand why they're all like, (gasps) how did she do that? (laughs)
1: <laughs> we do it every episode. Come on. Okay. Right. So In Just about every episode.
0: Yeah, It was just a joke,
1: I guess. Yeah. Don't
0: look into it too hard. So what do you think of the resolution? Uh, I didn't really care for the let's just keep stringing Noli along and then somehow it's supposed to make sense that they're all together. Because who beamed down the, the Spongali to the junk shop? Uh, I don't recall. It doesn't say. All it shows is the Spongali ship being destroyed by the Klingons, and Mm -hmm. one of them says, what the hell's happening? And the other guy's like, we're being attacked by Klingons! (laughs) And then three panels later, they're beamed down to the junkyard. Right. So did somehow Kirk beam them down to the junkyard, or did they decide to beam themselves down to the junkyard? Well, you don't know. Well, if it's not Kirk, then why the hell would they be beamed down to the junkyard? So that's that to me is, it has to be Kirk, and I need some sort of explanation as to why they did that. Yeah. And I don't understand how Noli ran into the second building, into a particular uh, apartment room. Then when the Klingons knocked down the door, Noli's not there, and and Kirk's like, oh, he's not here anymore. Did Noli see Kirk? Did Noli somehow run past Kirk, grab an axe, and then make it to the junkyard. That whole chain of events made absolutely no sense to me.
1: Yeah. A lot of the end, as far as I'm concerned, it's like, okay, we just gotta get this done. So let's, uh, okay, let's just, let's okay, do that, and we'll have some Klingons here. And, uh, okay, so Noli will get his comeuppance, and, uh, okay, we're done. <laughs> hey, Spock, your light moment. Okay, we're done. I just wasn't impressed. Uh-huh. Overall. No, and and the story hasn't been bad all along. I
0: mean, the characters and stuff sometimes look a little too comedic. Mm-hmm. But overall the story's not been bad except for these last like half of this half of this book, just this whole chase scene that doesn't really make sense through the apartments, then to the junkyard and then everybody converges at the junkyard. Yeah. All at the same time. Unless it was somehow the enterprise beaming the Spangali to the junkyard, and then then that would uh, somehow let the Klingons and the ship know to beam down at the same place. That's the only explanation I can come up with. Right. Can you come up with something better? Nope. And if that's the case, then why can nobody see the Enterprise? And <laughs> how did they know when to beam down the Spangali from their crippled ship?
1: Yeah, unless... Well, or they saw they were being attacked, fired on, so they save them. Coink-eating. Right, but you think the
0: bird of prey that's firing on the ship may be a little curious if a giant starship is also <laughs> there. <in orbit. laughs>
1: details, details.
0: And I yeah. didn't mention in the synopsis, but the the whole time... Noli's fighting and all these people are beaming down. We just have Sulu and Lucas sitting on a fence watching the whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> it's a little silly.
1: And then another thing that's silly is they have to do all this uh, this magic stuff where Arana's popping in and popping out and all this kind of stuff. It's like, right. do you have to do that? I don't know. It just seems kind of odd. Agreed. And not
0: only that, but Kirk goes from looking like the alien merchant at the apartment building yep. to by the time he shows up at the junkyard in normal attire and normal forehead and immaculate hair no
1: more skunk hair <laughs> exactly and no one asks about it i mean oh well yeah, well of course we know noli knows exactly who he is but you know the klingons don't and the Spongalians, whatever don't, and uh, etc. Right. So Right. It would seem it might raise a question from somebody. <laughs> and I have a question. Are you uh can you jump over to page twenty one? Uh I can. Ooh, twenty twenty one. Yes, I'm there now. So when he shows up
0: and he's standing on Noli, I believe, at this point, there's on that First panel on page 21, he's talking to the Klingons. Behind him is
1: a woman, dark-haired woman.
0: Yeah, who the hell is she?
1: Uh, I I assumed security person.
0: I don't know. Is that what security wears? I don't know. And then next to her is a blonde-haired man that's wearing the same type of armor. Yes, that's right. They are and that's that's the only panel you see them in.
1: Yep, yep, yep. Now you I think you see I think you see them behind Kirk as he's stepping over Noli. So I'm on, on the bottom on page of page 20. 20, right? And then you're right, the next time you see him is on 21 and voilà, you don't see him again.
0: Okay. Well,
1: I, from seeing that seeing their uh, crotches there on page
0: 20 cuz you don't see their faces, but you can see that Crouching. they're wearing yeah, you can see they're wearing Starfleet belts, so I guess you're right. They're,
1: <laughs> they're uh, nameless security guards. I guess so. And they got the shoulder pads, so they must be security. Yeah.
0: You go. Thank goodness for those belts.
1: Otherwise, I would have thought that they were Klingons or
0: something.
1: Right. Security team.
0: Right. All right. I- I've talked a while. Why don't you give us some of your comments?
1: So the Klingon colonists wanting the wanted the... Talaka, or whatever you're supposed to pronounce it, to unite other dissidents to overthrow the Klingon government? That was their thing? Right. Hmm. Makes sense, right? And then Noli thought that to destroy the relic, the artifact, the statue, would somehow trigger a the fall of the Klingon Empire. Because it has Calus's hair follicles or something inside of it, and bone, and bone. Well, okay, good point. Okay, I was gonna make a point there, but okay, bone, bones there too. You're right. Uh, perhaps that's this is where they got the stuff to clone him from. I don't know. Now they get the, uh, they
0: get the stuff to clone him from from a
1: dagger that with that blood he was stabbed with. Ah, well, that's cool. Um. Anyway, I just. I just thought things were a bit, uh... and that's fine. They explain things. Don't know that the best—they're the best explanations in the world, but okay. Hmm. Right. It was—it was an okay story arc. I—I I thought the second issue was kind of confusing, and I was really waiting for them to finally explain something. Right. And then the end is kind of like, okay, so they tied up all the loose ends. they got his comeuppance, and it's like. Okay, but, yeah, it's okay. Right, but they don't quite explain,
0: they don't quite tie up all the loose ends, because they don't explain what happened to the colonists. Do they, are they still trying to create a colony outside of the Klingon Empire, oh, or sure did those are. Klingons take them away? Oh, I'm... Because, I mean, she has one conversation with the Klingon commander saying that they're two sides of the same coin, and then he looks at her right. and says... One side of the coin always has to... Only one side of the coin can be up at, it, at a given time. So did I, I, I like that line, um, but it, it got me to wondering. I mean, did he forcefully take them back with him? Doesn't say. Yeah. Because, I mean, they're there against the the Empire's wishes, so you think that if he was there to pick up the idol, he would take them as well. And then the pirates
1: never explained what happened to them. Are they... Are they just allowed no, they're just, to Oh they're just gonna well unless the Klingons want uh, want vengeance. Right, <laughs> maybe. Because Noli got to uh he gets to
0: bypass their vengeance by going to Federation jail. But exactly. maybe maybe the Swangeli
1: are going to go off with the Klingons. Right. Good point. No. Good point. But they don't tell you because they're really not important, so <laughs> But they are a loose end. Right. And so what would you think about the idol itself? I thought it was kind of dumb looking. Really? Yeah.
0: See, I liked it. I thought that the face <laughs> of it... You liked it? I did. Okay. I thought the face of it looked a lot like the new continuity Klingon helmets. So it uh, kind of has that, that nose and then the ridges. It It reminded me a lot of those helmets, which yeah. I thought was kind of a cool nod to... You know, Klingon physiology, and then that in turn inspired those helmets in the last two movies.
1: Hmm. You don't see it there, like on eh, page one. Kinda. I'm looking. I'm staring at it. <laughs> I see it's kind of asymmetrical. Like the horns are not the same size on both sides, and it's got good spiky things coming out of the base that you could probably hurt yourself real bad with. So that's very klingon Right. And. Brilliant. uh but it, it kind of looks like like a statue of like a, like a geffen or something and right. uh but a Klingon one yeah huh yeah you, like, you saw you saw more in it than i did i thought it was cool i like yeah i like the yeah. uh just the facial structure right well it looks very nasty it looks like it, it's got the eyebrows in such a way that the statue looks like it's got attitude <laughs> exactly because it's a Klingon statue what do you want
0: all right, what else do you got? Really, nothing. That's it. I have one more comment, and it's more about what I miss about Star Trek. What? That we don't have anymore in the new continuity. Okay. I really liked when the Klingon said plot a course to the planet, maximum warp. They won't ever say that anymore because there is no maximum different warp. warp factors. It's all warp or nothing, which I hate. I do not know what the heck you're talking about. In the new continuity, the new, the last two movies, yeah, they don't ever say warp one, warp two, warp five. There's just warp, and you go to okay. warp, and everybody at warp travels the same speed. And, but not not the Vengeance. Right, exactly. That's what so that's what surprised them. How can it go faster than warp? We're already going at warp. Nothing can catch us. So. That's BS because, you know, you can go faster than the NX01. The NX01 could go faster than the Phoenix. What, what are you talking about as far as you're surprised that something can catch up with you? Uh, they just, I think they've, because Star Wars doesn't have it, they've dropped different warp factors
1: in the new continuity. and And that's something that I kind of miss.
0: Hmm.
1: I didn't get that. I thought they were just going, they were already going at maximum warp, so how could he catch up? I didn't get that from the movie, but I haven't seen it four or five times. I've only seen it four, but it's also in the last <laughs> one, too. I don't remember that from the first movie, either. Right.
0: And and I don't like how Warp works now, where it's, uh, you know, you're it seems like, like a, you can go anywhere. You're like in a tunnel. Well, not, not only that, and but...
1: A, a tunnel that you can break out of
0: but then they're, they're a good distance from the Klingon border and yet you know the, it was a surprise that they came out of warp so fast but if you were at warp and the shuttle couldn't make that trip in 20 minutes the Enterprise would have made it in like a nanosecond so that didn't really make sense you know as far as where the Enterprise broke down at where Kronos was from there which they said it was only 20 minutes from with a shuttle, mm-hmm. which means that Kronos is only 20 minutes from the border, which... Doesn't make sense. Doesn't make sense. Should and when, when the Vengeance is coming, he says, you know, uh, J- uh, Sulu says, you know, a ship's coming at us at warp, and Kirk's like, from Kronos, and then Khan says... Why would it be at warp if it was Klingons? It's obviously the Federation. And then when he gets up there, it's the Vengeance, which, again, doesn't make sense. Why would it not be warp from Kronos unless it's just, like, right there?
1: Right. I think that's what they're trying to insinuate. Which doesn't make sense. Why would Kronos be on that close to the border? So everybody will have to bear with Donovan. He just saw it for, again, a few days ago. (laughs)
0: <laughs> but it's it's been bothering me for a while, and then when I read this book and he says Maximum Warp, I was like, oh, I, I missed that. I'm going to miss that uh, now that it's going to be
1: phased out. Well, this must be some newfangled physics that somebody's trying to work into this.
0: To me, I don't know this. It's just total guess, but I, my feeling is that they're just trying to dumb it down so that people don't have to think too hard. Which Warp is, well, was
1: always as fast as everybody else's Warp. and Well, you know, I think that's BS because it's counterintuitive because you're – like most things that travel from place to place, there is such a thing as speed. And yes, if you're really folding space or something, you can end up in another part of the galaxy or the universe instantly, but that's never what Warp was. But it and is what just, hyperspace is in Star Wars. That's That's what I'm getting at.
0: Well Star Wars you actually went to another dimension during hyperspeed and you and you made it you weren't physically moving through space like like warp does in Star Wars so when it, when when Han well, says that he can make you know he can make a certain trip at you know so many parsecs or whatever good
1: lord and that's a that's a unit of that's a unit of distance right and what he's talking about
0: is that his his <clears throat> To have a computer or whatever can make, you know, the fewest amount of jumps so that it can, you know, make that Kessel Run or whatever it was. Which, again, is because they they actually just go through a tunnel and they appear in another part of the, the galaxy, not necessarily moving through the galaxy, which I think is what they're trying to do to Star Trek. And again, just my speculation, but I haven't seen anything that disproves that yet.
1: Fascinating.
0: <laughs> and I know it's all make-believe, so I shouldn't shouldn't care, but...
1: <laughs> <laughs> but damn it, it matters! Anyways. All right, done? I
0: am done. All right, so uh, as always, with our original series, we're going to go over the Expanded Universe novels that came out these three months... And there's uh, quite a few, so bear with us. In April of 1995, there was a, a Deep Space Nine novel called Valhalla. You know, where Thor lives. Or no, he lives in Asgard. When he dies, he'll go to Valhalla. Anyways, uh, this one was written by Nathan Archer, not Jonathan Archer. And uh, the little blurb on the cover says, "Cisco must keep a strange alien ship with The Potential to Destroy Deep Space Nine Out of Cardassian's Hands So, I've not read this one Have you?
1: Are you kidding? No I wasn't kidding, but okay (laughs) No, I have not (laughs) I I haven't read any Deep Space Nine novels Oh, really? Oh, really?
0: You're going to love this next one Next up is Star Trek The Next Generation Starfleet Academy Book 7 (gasps) Oh So this is the young adult books, and this one's entitled Secret of
1: the Lizard People.
0: And this is a story with Cadet Data.
1: Ah, and the Lizard People.
0: All right. Right. So So I don't
1: don't think they're Gorn. Okay, I was about to ask that.
0: They're not Gorn. Okay. Cadet Data is among a handful of first-year cadets selected to observe the Super... Joven Planet Ignition The collision of two huge gas giant planets resulting in the formation of a new star. Anyways, it's a Michael Jan Friedman, so I'm gonna give it a little bit of credit, but it obviously it's written towards younger audience, so Sure. Uh nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. No, no, I, I actually like it because it gets, you know, kids who are into Star Trek. Something to read because, you know, the novels, which are, you know, 300, 400 pages, might be a little intimidating. In May, there was a next generation novel called The Romulan Stratagem by Robert Greenberger. This one is very interesting because it has Ensign Rowe and Sila, Denise Crosby's character. Oh. So, uh, Yars. Alternate daughter. Right. I love that character. I wish they would have brought her back for Nemesis and had her playing some part in Shizan's uh, attempt to take over the Federation. (laughs) But that didn't happen. Damn it. I know. Would have been awesome, right? You could have wrote the script. They didn't ask. They didn't ask. I had my phone on the whole time. Damn it. All right. Also, that month is a Voyager novel called The Escape. This is the first original novel based on the Star Trek Voyager franchise, written by Dean Wesley Smith and Kristen Katherine Rush. And if I'm not mistaken, they are married, if, I'm, if I remember correctly. Yes. Uh I have not read this particular novel, but I have read several of their other books and and they're quite good good alright so that's April and then now we're in June and that leaves a original series novel The Ashes of Eden by William Shatner and Judith and Garfield Reeves Stevens yes so I've heard of that one yeah you have so we'll actually be reviewing this one since it's also came out as a graphic novel oh so I don't remember where we have it in the lineup, but um it is in there and we will be covering it.
1: So I assume it was significantly abridged. Um, or is there a, like a like a ton of issues? No, it was just one like
0: 90 something page graphic novel. Oh. So probably I see. the
1: equivalent of 3
0: 3 or 4 not quite four issues, but it's like a hmm. three-parter still. But yeah, it's it's a What's funny about it is that the the graphic novel is abridged in one way and the audiobook which came out at the same time is abridged in a different way. So both the audiobook and the graphic novel have are basically the same story as as the novel itself. But right. Each one has taken and omitted certain different scenes, so it's kind of funny <laughs> how, how that
1: worked. I guess certain scenes resonated with whoever was doing the editing. Right the adaptation as it were
0: and so that was the beginning of the Shatnerverse where what happened after Star Trek 6 but before Kirk's death in Star Trek Generations Mm -hmm. the second novel in the Shatnerverse will be how he was resurrected from dying there in Star Trek Generations Right, which I, I like you do? I like the Shatnerverse
1: cool I've listened to I think one of the audiobooks and it was okay do you remember mm-hmm. which one it was was it the I his I, resurrection? I don't remember I think it was the resurrection one yeah that was good yeah because he was uh like geez, pe- some people thought he was a Klingon clone or something or right. you know, something like that
0: yep yeah spoiler alert but the uh, the
1: Borg bringing back to life oh that's it well the Borg of course Right. Huh? <laughs> I guess I remember that. Yeah. yeah. It's good.
0: It's it's worth a read. Alright, and then last novel that we're gonna cover this this episode is a Deep Space Nine novel by Greg Cox and John Gregory Betancourt. And it is entitled Devil in the Sky. Huh. This is interesting because It may be the only time, aside from the original series episode, where a Horta Hmm. is featured. Cool. Yes, that's great that the uh, Hortas get to make another appearance. Yeah, I like the Hortas. Never see enough Hortas. Nah, nah. I'm kind of curious if they actually... Because in this little synopsis, it says that in the form of Tan and her children, Tan is kidnapped... By a group of Cardassians Prompting a rescue So that to me implies that uh, The Horta is actually a character
1: Hmm
0: Which sounds kind of interesting
1: Indeed But Hmm. Unless you got a Vulcan around I might do a mind meld I'm not so sure how much dialogue you're going to get Pain Isn't that the one Yes Donovan That's it yes
0: Alright, well that was the last uh, Oh, I lied One more novel Okay. Uh, another young adult one This is uh, Deep Space Nine uh, Number nine Young adult novel entitled Arcade And this, you know, obviously The Deep Space Nine ones were The Adventures of Nog and Jake uh-huh. So the cover of this one says Fun and games lead to disaster For Jake and Nog By Diane Gallagher Hmm
1: That doesn't sound as much fun in games. Nope. That sounds like things are rather serious.
0: Yeah, the cover is interesting because it shows Jake being attacked by these uh, frogs. Some Ah. evil frogs.
1: And then in the background
0: is either a Borg or a Cyberman. I can't quite tell.
1: (laughs) Probably Borg. So Jake's going to get warts followed by a bolt of... uh, Focused particle energy. Right, and these are some
0: evil-looking frogs. Glowing eyes, sharp teeth. Nasty.
1: You must be joking. Nope, look it up. Wow, that sounds great.
0: (laughs) All right, but again, young adult novel, so we'll give them a little bit of uh, leeway there. Yeah, yeah. All right, well, that finishes it up, and uh, next episode we'll do the Next Generation issues 70 71 and 72 cool finally get to see those giant robots i've been promising you i've been excited about it (laughs) all right well until
1: then take care and we'll talk to you next week see you guys next time on the review thank you for listening to star trek comic book review all star trek stories and characters are copyrighted cbs studios incorporated all music stories and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only you can email us at star t comic book review at gmail.com Visit us at our website www.stComicBookReview.com Subscribe to us via iTunes or friend us on Facebook at First Name ST Comic Second Name Book Review. See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review. Just get the hell out of here.